Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, in earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. You may be seated. Thanks for doing that with me. The purpose, we said from the beginning for this passage, was that Jesus wanted to teach his disciples how to pray. They came and said, Lord, teach us to pray. They had seen him pray a number of times. They had seen him slip away and spend time in prayer. And they said, teach us how to pray. And so he said, here's the manner in which you should pray. And he began to pray this. And so Matthew records this for us in his gospel. But it's more than just teaching us how to pray. It also teaches us how to think about God, how to think about ourselves and our own lives in the light of who God really is. And it also teaches us how to live. So when we get our focus on God and we learn more about God and what he's like and what he's about from the word of God, we begin to change how we think about God. And when we change how we think on these things, we begin to find it's easy to change how we live, don't we? And so it's not just about how to pray, it's about how to think and about how to live for the Lord God. You see, when we pray, thy kingdom come, thy will be done, as we talked about a few weeks ago, we begin to pray about the things pertaining to his rule and his reign. And we begin to pray about those things, we begin to desire to live in submission to his lordship over our own lives. When we pray, our Father who art in heaven... We begin to live in the light of this relationship that we have. He is our Father. He's not just Father overall. He's our personal Heavenly Father. And so we can come to Him as we would our own earthly Father and say, Heavenly Father, I need you. Lord God, I need you. Lord, I'm, an, I'm your child. You've not forsaken me. I belong to you. And our prayer becomes uh, really... Because of the relationship that we have, our prayer life grows and becomes stronger. In fact, I believe we can begin to walk in greater faith knowing that He's our Father. We have a right and privilege to come to Him. And I believe that's an exciting thing. We begin to learn about that and we begin to live that out. Then when we pray things like this, give us this day our daily bread. We're not just talking to Him about what our needs are. and Certainly that's what He's telling us to do. He's the one who can supply the need. And so we're looking to Him. So we have all of these different facets of how to pray coming to light. Deliver us from evil simply tells us that we're recognizing the fact that temptation to sin is always going to be a possibility. You can't think of a time when sinning is not a possibility. I mean, we can come to church and we can have a sinful thought. We begin to learn to pray about our need for deliverance and God's hand of protection against temptation, don't we? So this passage teaches us how to pray, but also how to think, and also how to live. And the truth is, prayer itself is to be God-centered. Prayer is God-centered. And i, I got to tell you, I'll be the first to stand up and admit... A lot of prayers that I've prayed, now looking back, I've, boy, they were me-centered. 
But prayer is God-centered. You say, you mean, Brother Christian, I shouldn't come asking God about my needs? No, you should. But when your prayer is God-centered, and I come to Him because I have a need, because of who He is, I come to Him. That's different. That's God-centered. I'm coming to Him out of a need, but I'm coming to Him because of who He is. In other words, I don't have the answer. No one else has the answer. I want His answer first and foremost. Prayer is to be God-centered. And it begins here in this prayer, this model prayer in verse 9, with the worship of who God is. He's our Father. Hallowed is your name. You know, His name is holy. The Bible says He is holy. He is totally set apart, totally pure. You'd say, well, okay, what can we compare His holiness to? The answer is you can't. We have nothing to compare God's holiness to. He is totally pure, totally righteous, totally true, totally trustworthy. In every way, God is holy. His name and His names are hallowed. They are holy. And so we begin in that way. It's, it's a form of worship. We're recognizing who He is. But then go down to verse 13, which is where we're going to be, especially the, the last part of verse 13. And you're going to see that it ends with worship. This prayer begins with worship and it ends with worship. Thus, when we, when we pray, we recognize who God is. That's worship. And we might want to stay there a while. We, we don't want to just say, Heavenly Father, and go on. Why not express the things that are expressed in Scripture back to Him? That's worship and that's praise. Who is He? He's, he's omniscient. He's all-knowing. He's everywhere present. He's not left us. He can be found. David said, I can go to the highest mountaintop and you're there. I can go to the deepest valley and you're there. He's everywhere present. He will always be found when we call out to Him. He's all-knowing. He's everywhere present. He's omnipotent. He's all-powerful. That's what that means. There's nothing God can't do. And you're going to find that expressed in this message today. So we end where we started in worship and praise. So we come back. We're right down here on the end. It says, for thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. That's worship. That's talking about the attributes of God, who he is, what he's like. We don't make him powerful. He's already powerful. Amen. And so we're just, we're just giving him that. Lord, we recognize who you are. So we end in worship just as we began in worship. So let's dig into it. Okay. And you hang on with me. First of all, for thine is the kingdom. What does that tell us? It tells us this. God is sovereign over all. Not just some, not a few things. He's sovereign over all. The word sovereign comes from the Latin word. It means over and above. God is over and above all. He's got the whole world in His hands. And as we look around the world, it appears that Satan maybe is the one in control. That Satan is the ruler of the world. The Bible even says that. But we've got to understand what that means. That he's the ruler of the world doesn't mean he has the world under his control. That he's the ruler of the world really means he's in control of all the worldliness that's going on. That he's the father of sin. He's the ruler of the sin in this world. And so he does have some sway in this world, but that doesn't mean the Lord Jesus is not over him. I'm telling you, with the spoken command of the Lord Jesus, Satan has nothing in this world. No grasp of anything. 
He is really like this. He's on a leash for now. God's in control. Jesus is the one in control. All power, all authority has been given to Jesus, the Son. The Bible's very clear about that. Nonetheless, Satan has always tried to exercise control, which is why God removed him from heaven. He wanted to be worshipped as God. So he still tries to exercise control. He's, he's wanted to be worshipped as God. He is working to dethrone Jesus until he is cast into the fiery pit, the Bible says, by Jesus himself. What an exciting time that's going to be. Everybody for Satan going to the fiery pit? I am. <laughs> I can't wait. It's going to be glorious. Jesus is in control. But now when Jesus was born in Bethlehem, Caesar was in control. Rome had this vast empire throughout Israel, all the way down on the southern part of the Mediterranean, all the way over to the British Isles, and then on the southern part, all through North Africa, as far as to India even. The Caesar of Rome, whoever would be at the time, he was in charge of all of this. And he had all power and all authority over every man, every woman, every boy, every girl, everything that took place, he had control over. With a snap of his fingers, he could make a command and it would be done. The Caesar in Rome had power. But one starry night, Caesar Augustus' kingdom collided with a little manger in the little town of Bethlehem, for Christ the Savior was born. Isaiah prophesied in chapter 9, verse 6 and 7, For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulder." And his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. Upon the throne of David and over his kingdom, to order it and establish it with judgment and justice from that time forward, even forever. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. God spoke that through the prophet Isaiah. You know, kings will rise up. Nations will rise up. They'll bow out their chest. They'll flex their muscles and all their military might. But you can know this. God is ruler over all. Never forget that. God spoke again through Isaiah in chapter 46, verses 10 and 11. Wonderful passage of scripture. Declaring the end... From the beginning. In other words, now he's going to talk about what happens in the end, but he's declared it as so from the beginning. And so God hasn't gotten wishy-washy at all in the middle here. Declaring the end from the beginning, and from ancient times, things that are not yet done, saying, My counsel shall stand, and I will do all my pleasure. Indeed, I have spoken it. I will also bring it to pass. I have purposed it. I will also do it. Whatever God has said, you can know it will surely come to pass. Well, why do people go on sinning and sinning, Brother Crispin? Why do they do that? Well, first of all, it's the nature of a lost person to act lost. So people go on sinning and sinning. But I'll give you another answer as well. The reason people continue to walk in their sin instead of falling on their knees before a holy God and giving their life to Him 
is because they have become desensitized to their sin. They no longer view sin as sin because so many are doing it. Another reason is that the world thinks because God has not judged my sin already, I'm good. Hey, what do we have to worry about? If God was against me, He would have already done something to me about it. If God didn't like what I was doing, He would have judged me. Bad things would have happened. You know, an omen, a uh, just things come around, you know, but God's good. God knows my intentions. My heart's all right. I'm just having fun. These things I do just to have fun. If God was going to judge me, he would have done it already. But you know, even as Christians, we become blind to our sin. Is anybody in the house this morning? I said, we Christians become blind to our sin, don't we? We're really quick to point out there at the world and say, well, look what they're doing. Look what they're doing. But we do the same thing sometimes. And we say, well, God must be all right. I'm a Christian. I'm under grace. I'm a Christian. I'm under grace. You know, I'm okay. It's like the lady who was testifying on Sunday evening church service. They said, who wants to share a testimony? She said, I will. Something happened today. She said, I just don't know what the world's coming to. The world's going to the dogs, preacher. She said, well, I left church this morning after the service. I went home and she said, I found that my back door had been kicked in. A thief had come into my house and stole every one of my holiday in towels. You know, let's, let's, don't let a lost, cynical, egotistical prideful, immoral, depraved world tell you God is out of business, that God is not looking upon this earth, that God will not judge this world. God is in control over all. He said from the beginning what would happen in the end and He'll bring judgment on sin and He will deliver those who belong to Him to eternal glory and others who are lost and who have rejected God will be condemned to an eternal hell. God is not out of business. God still receives the humble at heart and He still will judge those who reject Him. Amen? God's not dead. The Lord gave John a vision of heaven of these last days. And in Revelation chapter 11, verse 15, John says this, Then the seventh angel sounded. This is what he sees. This is what he sees. And there were loud voices in heaven saying, The kingdoms of this world have become the kingdoms of our Lord and of our Christ, and He shall reign forever and ever. The kingdoms of this world have become the kingdoms of our Lord and Christ. In other words, He's going to be in control over all of it. That's a powerful kingdom. That Roman, that Roman Empire, what a powerful thing. doesn't matter. It's going to be under His control. Perhaps every one of us are guilty of using the word my too much. My stuff, my family, my job, my income, my education, my house, my decision, mine, 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 mine. We think we're in charge, but we're not in charge because it all belongs to God. After Jesus died and was raised from the dead, the Christians in the early New Testament church would end this prayer in this way. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever, not Caesar's. Not Caesar's. They would not make that declaration that Caesar 
was Lord. They wouldn't do that. They wouldn't bow to Caesar. Thus persecution began to continue on and on. When Jesus was born, you have Caesar Augustus. Then around 14 AD, the Caesar changed and the name has slipped my head here now. But anyway, they would not bow to the Caesar. In 1901, a hymn writer penned this verse and song. This is my father's world. Oh, let me ne'er forget. That though the wrong seems oft so strong, God is the ruler yet. For thine is the kingdom. Second, he says, God has power over all. God has power over all. For thine is the kingdom and the power. And it's far easier for us to make a list, actually, of the things God cannot do than to make such a long list of all the things God can do. Let me give you a for instance. The Bible tells us God cannot lie. So put that in the things God can't do column. He can't lie. The Bible tells us He cannot change. He doesn't change at all. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. The Bible says He cannot make a mistake. He cannot fail. These are things God cannot do. But I want to tell you what God can do. He can do anything according to His will. Anything that fits with His nature of who He is and His lofty position of who He is, He can do anything. The Bible says there's nothing God cannot do. Jeremiah thirty-seven seventeen says, Oh Lord God, behold, You have made the heavens and the earth by Your great power and outstretched arm. There is nothing too hard for You. Listen, are you in the middle of a, a prayer battle right now? You're in the middle of trying to pray with faith, trying to believe, trying to hang on. There's a verse for you. Jeremiah thirty-two seventeen. Your great power and outstretched arm. You have made the heavens and the earth by your power and your outstretched arm. There's nothing too hard for you. But there's nothing too hard for God. You keep praying. God has power over all. A little boy was trying to move a small boulder from his backyard and his father came home and saw him struggling over there. He'd done just about everything he could do to move that big rock and it wasn't working. He was frustrated. He was upset. His dad walks in the backyard and says, what's wrong, son? He said, I can't get this rock to budge. It moved a few inches at first and now it's just stuck. I can't get it to move. He said, well, have you tried everything you know to try? He said, I did. I used the shovel. I've used a pry bar. He said, I've tried pulling it out of there. I've tried rolling it out of there. There's no way. There's nothing else that I can do. It simply won't move. His dad said, are you sure you've tried everything? He said, I'm sure. Why do you keep asking me? He said, I just want to be sure. Dad said, "I, I don't think that you've really tried everything. He said, I've tried everything, Dad. He said, no, you haven't. You've never asked me. I'm standing right here. I'm ready to help. You've never asked me. Isn't that like us and the the Heavenly Father, God the Father? We try everything that we can do except rely on Him. For some reason, in our prideful heart, we won't walk in humility and just recognize that we can't do certain things. Certain things we cannot control. We cannot change certain things that are taking place in our lives. But we have a God who says nothing is impossible for me. If we'll just ask. Last week the children sang he's got the whole world in his hands and that's true. He has the power to establish 
or remove kings from their position and thrones. He has the power to even uh, remove nations from the face of the earth. You say, it's impossible that God could remove or establish nations. That's a people thing. We do that. The world's an established place. God's not going to mess with any of that. But I'm just going to tell you, some of you here, depending on your age, witnessed this firsthand around the world. Uh, the greatest manifestation of God's power when you were younger took place concerning the nation of Israel. How many were here around 1948? Several were. And you remember hearing the news. You remember hearing the talk about Israel. You say, well, what's the big deal? Israel, uh, Isaiah foretold the rebirthing of the nation of Israel. He says in chapter 66, verse 7 and 8, Who has heard such things? Who has who's seen such things? He goes on. Can a nation be born in a day? Isaiah said. I'm going to tell you the answer to that is yes. A nation can be born in a day. Now, Brother Crispin, it takes months and years of planning. It's this stage in our nation, in our world history, it's going to take military might, power. Somebody's got to be removed for a nation to come in and take over somewhere. Something big's got to happen, and it can't happen in a day. There's no way that's going to happen overnight in a day. And I'm going to tell you, it did happen. In 70 AD, Israel ceased to exist as a nation after the Romans came through and did exactly what Jesus said they would do. And he said, for building will be torn down. There won't be anything left standing in this city. He pointed around and he told the people in Jerusalem, this temple is going to be crashed. And oh, what a great temple it was. He said, it's coming down. And uh, the Romans came through just 30 years or so later. And they ransacked the city in fact, they burned the city of Jerusalem. They burned the temple. The gold that was in silver that was in the walls. They said when you go and you look at all the, the rubble that there, were, there was melted gold and silver in the cracks of many of the stone that had come down and fallen. I mean, Jerusalem was destroyed. The Romans had overtaken it. 2,900 years later, that's 2,900 years later on May 14th, 1948, after Israel and after the Jews had all been dispersed, after the Jews had scattered because of such prosecution, persecution that was taking place, which must, much of the New Testament uh, alludes to all of the persecution that had taken place. 2,900 years after all the Jews had been scattered around the world, a small population of Jews declared independence for Israel as a united nation and a sovereign nation once again. Although an Arab military coalition of surrounding states wouldn't have it, and a battle ensued and Israel was completely surrounded on May 14, 1948, in the end, Israel won and maintained her claim of independence. God worked miraculously and they were able to withstand all the outside pressure that was against them. Can a nation be born in a day? Yes, it can. For with God, all things are possible. In accordance with His will, He will do it. His counsel shall stand, the Scripture said. So when you pray, do so knowing that God is sovereign over all. And when you pray, you do so knowing He has power over all. And last, I want you to know that God is 
glorified over all. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory. He's glorified over all. The word glorify means to make glorious or to make known as glorious. It's to show forth God's praise. I pointed out to you earlier that this prayer not only starts with worship in verse 9, but comes down here and it closes with worship in verse 13. We're to show forth God's glory and His greatness when we pray even. And how do we do that though? Is, is coming together each Sunday the, the primary way to show worship to God? No, it's part of it though, certainly part of it. In our prayers, we can glorify Him. Coming together, meeting together, we glorify Him. But it goes beyond the walls of the church where we glorify the Lord as well. A preacher named Roland Allen tells the story of a veteran missionary who came up to him one day after he had delivered a sermon. This missionary approached him. He said, I used to be a medical missionary in India. I did that for many years. I served in a region where many of the people suffered from progressive blindness. At some point in their life, they were going to begin to lose their sight until they were totally blind. He said, I was able to develop a treatment that I could treat their eyes with and stop the blindness. So people from all around began to come to me. They heard of me. They came to me for treatment. They would leave realizing they would have come, become completely blind at some point if they hadn't come to me for that treatment. He said, they never said thank you. Never said thank you. But the reason they didn't say thank you is because there were no words in their dialect to express when we just say, hey, thanks. Thanks a lot. Thank you. No words in their dialect express, express that. So they didn't say something like that. He said, and still they had a word in their dialect that when translated means this, I will tell of your name. So no thank you. You've treated me. I know I'm going to be well. I will tell of your name. That's what they would say. And wherever they went, they would tell others of his name and they would tell people that he had cured them from their potential blindness. You know, it's one thing for us to pray for thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. But the best way to give honor and glory to God is to tell his name, to tell of his greatness to express it with our lips. The Bible says that's a sacrifice of praise. Expressing with our lips, giving praise to His name. It's one thing for us to gather together with other believers and sing about the good things of the Lord and to shout amen and to come together in agreement with the Word of God. It's another thing to go out there and tell of it. To go out there when the pressure's on and people don't agree and still stand in your faith and say, God is good. God is great. God is almighty. God will never fail. Say what you want about Him. My faith and trust is still in the Lord. Amen? I mean, what, what can you say about God other than that He's all glorious, all powerful, totally sovereign? The Bible says he shares his glory with no one. So when we think that we've done some great things and we begin to focus on those things that we've done, we need to remember he shares glory with no one. 
the very thing that we think that we will do for him and make some great name for ourselves will be the very thing he will take away so that he shares his glory not with us but holds his glory for himself. The psalmist said that is the purpose. The purpose is that we bring the nations to worship and glorify him, not us. I'm just going to tell you, I believe there's a lot of churches out there in this world right now. They have boomed, and it's not about the size, but they are bringing glory to themselves. Some are small, some are large. And I, I tell you, this does not need to be one of them. We need to give God the glory for everything that He does in this place and never take it for ourselves. It's not what we've done. It's what He can do through us. To God be the glory. Jesus, in your name we pray. Come and fill our hearts today. Lord, give me for you glorify your name your name is a strong and mighty tower your name is a shelter like no other your name let the nation sing loud Thank you.